Hello, fellow makers. How are you all doing out there? How you doing? It's uh, it's uh, getting cold out there. Yeah, it's good to be in the studio with you, Paul. We've been doing all our intros separately for the last while, so yeah, both um, of us have been kind of busy doing stuff and traveling. And yeah, we've both been away. So, um, we have today Tim Wardle, a fantastic filmmaker. Uh, he's done some great stuff, and most currently, um, three identical strangers, which is in the IFI at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely go see it if you can. If you like twists. Yeah, and turns. Yeah, then this is for you. It's a it's a wonderful, wonderfully interesting and intricate story about uh, uh, three identical twins yeah. that were separated at birth. Um, it's, it's great to see. Brilliant. Uh, it's the twelve million in in the US. It's a huge hit over there. It's a big Sundance hit. It's great to see documentaries doing so well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one if you're gonna go like it'd be a great one to go with friends and then have a few pints afterwards or have and a chat about it. Chat about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. we we're about to do right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah we've got uh what else have we got going on? Uh, what do we have going on? Yeah, we're gonna have a, an F and I Christmas social coming up soon, so keep an eye on the uh on the FNI social networking platforms for that. Yeah. Uh, what else have we got on? Um, um, that's it, boy. I don't yeah, know. Paul, we, how are you, Paul? Good, good. Uh, yeah, so we had Fergal Ward, uh, one of my favourite Irish filmmakers at the moment. Uh, he did a movie called um, The Lonely Battle of Thomas Reed. And I just think it's a real landmark in an Irish documentary. So if you get a chance to go back and listen to that, it was our first one that we did on the phone. So we'd love to get some feedback and see what you thought, if it, re- if it how it affected your listening experience. Because um, it's something we could do for filmmakers who live further away. Um, so we'd love to hear what you think and if it's something that we could kind of pursue a bit more. As, as we'd love to get people in as much as we can. But that can be difficult. Yeah, of course, we do our best. And equally, as we always say at this juncture in the podcast, if you'd like to support Film Network Ireland, head on over to www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash FNI. Uh, because we could use a coffee, because sometimes we're tired when we come into the studio. And also, more importantly, we like to you know offer our guests a cup of coffee and that. Uh, a nice cup of coffee, not, not that instant. Carry on. Uh, next door. So, yeah. <laughs> so this is a great one. We hope you enjoy it. This is Tim Wardle. Yeah, roll it there, Roshan. Tim Wardle, thanks so much for coming into the studio with us. You're very welcome. We're live. Hi. <laughs> Sorry to be here. And this is your first time in Ireland. It is. It That's is. Cool. I'm really pumped. Actually. You're very welcome. Um, documentary seems to be going through a little bit of a golden age and audiences are really responding to it a lot. Why do you think it's still, you know, it still has this kind of cinematic impact and what is it about Doc that really draws you to it? I mean, I think you're right. This year, particularly, the, the Doc audiences in the US for cinema films have been just crazy there's three films now almost four it was probably going to be four by the end of next week that mm. have made over 10 million box office which is just like unheard of yeah, and right. it means that like this time next year there are going to be a million other 
documentaries right. probably you know all the all the studios will be trying to buy up um feature docs yeah um I, it's hard to know why it's this year i mean i think there's a couple of things the netflix kind of effect has mm. kind of made they've all the box sets and stuff have made docs kind of more legitimate in the eyes of the kind of general viewing public i think for you know people go to them to be entertained and be kind of have their minds expanded in a way that previously docs were seen as a bit kind of niche um but I also think the world is a crazy place at the moment and somehow drama can't really kind of live up to the madness of the real world. Yeah. You know, you look at mm. what's going on in the UK and what's going on in America, you know, you see that. Mm. So I think mm. people like maybe come to the cinema wanting wanting kind of answers or wanting to understand the world a bit. And um, it's great. I mean, I, I've always loved Doc because I just feel that... Um, Real people are always more interesting than kind of fantasy characters. I mean, I love drama. If if you yeah. get you know really well acted pieces and stuff, or you can connect with it. But it, you know, um, real people and real stories have always kind of been been the starting point for me to kind of. I don't know. Just but there's that famous phrase about um, doc, you know, cinema is an empathy machine. You know, and yeah. documentaries are the best way to kind of main that mainline that kind of yeah. connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I heard the phrase doc poster. Kind recently. <laughs> oh my god, I haven't. That is great. I haven't heard that before. In America, they're all. It's Year of the Dark, and right, they're all yeah. like really excited about it. But Dogbuster, that's good. I'm. Yeah, it's exciting. Dogbuster, that's that's amazing. Because some sometimes here, uh, people say, oh, people don't want to go to the cinema to see documentaries because they're so used to watching them on Netflix. But this year is kind of is flipping that on its head, which is great. I, I think you're right. I mean, I think that's still a kind of bump that people have to get over. And for me personally, like I've gone to a lot of film festivals and watched a lot of docs this year, and it's like so many of them really struggle when they get past about 60 minutes to kind of sustain the story. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess yeah. I'd grown up watching cinema films like Man on Wire, Touching the Void, those kind of mm. things. Mm. And I was always like, if I'm ever going to make a feature doc, it's got to have enough story to justify charging people money to go and you know sit in a dark room and watch it you know yeah. what i mean and that's what one of the things that attracted me to this story there was a lot of pressure on me with three identical strangers to make it into a into a series like a netflix kind of series oh, yeah but actually i i'd rather watch a film which is like packed to the mm. you know raft with kind of you know incident and narrative almost too much like a yeah. surplus of narrative because you watch a lot of even the series now. I watch and I'm sort of by about ep three. You're like, whoa, how long are they going to string this out for? Yeah, mm -hmm. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, we we'll just go back to the start and how you got into filmmaking originally. Mm. Yeah, tell us about your past. <laughs> 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 well, I I always loved cinema, and this is not documentary. This is just like you know Hollywood stuff, um, and 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 genre of filmmaking particularly really really appealed. And then I went to university and did psychology, and halfway through my degree, I was like, I'm not really feeling this. And they'd started a film course, so I transferred onto that. Okay. And then you know I I, I guess I. Uh, like a lot of people, I thought, oh, I come out of university with a film degree. Great, I'm a director, and it doesn't really work like that. So I spent the best part of kind of 10 years working my way up from kind of making the tea all the way up to kind of um, directing. This was this was on TV stuff in the UK. So, you know, I, my first job, I think, was like a runner on uh, location, location, location. Which oh, brilliant. Kirsty. Yeah. That's brilliant. Before they were famous. It. I love that show. Yeah, it's they, a property show, right? Yeah, it's a property show. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I just, I, I kind of fell into docs. I actually, I, I worked on some early drama. Channel 4 have this thing called Coming Up, which is like young directors, new directors scheme. And I yeah. was a sort of all purpose kind of assistant director on that when they had people like andrea arnold you know who's oh, done fantastic. yeah red road and fish tank and all those kind of yeah, things 
and there are a few other you know great directors and so but then i kind of fell into documentaries and i kind of fell in love with it mainly mm. i think mainly because the people like that you meet making documentaries generally doc people i just yeah. find are really cool and interested yeah. in the world yeah and that's eagles yeah yeah uh, yeah no, no it's true and uh, i just feel like it's sort of people who are just engaged with the world with what's going on and interested in stories and people and that kind of thing um yeah you was... might even say they live in uh, they're based in reality <laughs> <laughs> they are they are we're some drama people i think are, are yeah. kind of like i don't know they just it's just a different it's just a, in certainly my experience has been they're slightly different um kind of industries but um and then and they're sort of come full circle back around to well more uh, a kind of cinema doc thing this yeah. this i've just been waiting a long time for this story to come along or a story like this yeah um, um i'd love to before we get to three identical strangers i'd just love to talk about uh your film or program uh documentary one killer punch i i loved it i was totally gripped mm. from start to finish and just maybe tell about how that came about and your approach to it yeah that i mean that was the first film that I've worked with Michael Hart, who's the editor on um, uh, on Three Identical Strangers, and um, I just an Irish editor, an Irish Shout editor, Paddy, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. They, you know, they work that little bit cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> I did work him like a dog, I have to say. Uh, and um, no, I, I think I've always been interested in all my films. If you look at the ones I've directed, in what happens when, like, essentially decent people do bad things, like or normal people, what happens? You know, mm. I, I made a film before that called Lifers, which where I spent about seven months filming in Europe's largest prison for. Uh, murderers basically which is out just outside leicester it's called gartry there's like 750 murderers there okay. and um i'm just interested in that kind of like what happens when yeah good people do bad things and what, i think what, i saw that actually was there a guy who's this very timid humble or kind of guy with glasses yeah and he, he killed, killed his, his wife. wife yeah yeah i mean most uh, of the yeah. people in there are like kill their wives and stuff but yeah right, he was yeah. he was like the middle class guy he yeah. like well, why are you in here and uh yeah, he, he he killed his wife, and his daughters had like forgiven him, which was rather extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. but um, that was a great doc. As well, yeah, so. yeah. So I think with the, the the theme kind of running through all of these, and it's only recently I've worked this out. It's kind yeah. of like that. Yeah, what happens when every everyday people like us do something terrible, like kill someone or ha- punch someone, and end up killing them? You know, not not intentionally, not because they're bad people. And what what are the what's the impact of them? And I guess guilt, I guess, is a big part of that. And then. Um, what the repercussions on everyone around them? I think that's what you know. I mean, maybe I'm overanalyzing myself, but yeah. that's that's what's going on. And and one punch here yeah, was just it was very it was very simple. It was three stories of three people who'd hit someone, um, you know, from an argument over a car parking space in a in an ASDA supermarket to a uh, a teenage house party kind of gone gone wrong, um, and just ended up killing someone and and and, and the effect on that. And it was very simple. It was like a it's um. An anthology kind of thing. Most documentaries now, if you have multiple stories, they'll be intercut and interwoven. Mm-hmm. And what me and the editor Michael Hart realised is that if you do that, you if you cut cross cut them, you have to keep everything so simple to because it's so just complicated to keep track of those stories. And actually, what we preferred to do is play each one out individually and really mess with the narrative and really the perspective and the point of view. Um, and so it was it was interesting. Um, it was simple, but it was also sort of complicated if that makes sense yeah yeah um yeah you handled it very well and but your talk it's it was still very raw i think because most of them had happened fairly recently how did you kind of manage that side of things yeah it's interesting i mean i guess documentary what i've come to realize as well is that i'm decent at doing interviews and i don't think i'm the world's best interviewer but i think that i people find it 
easy to be relatively comfortable around me and to I can build up trust with people. Um, He's right. You, I've just fallen asleep there for a couple of minutes. <laughs> I'm so comfortable. And do, do, you know, documentaries only as good as the, you only ever as good as the people in them. You know, you yeah. can't. However, it's not like a drama where you can like, you know, jazz things up. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, people telling me deep dark stuff i guess after particularly after the prison doc it's i've heard so much so many horrible things it doesn't really it doesn't really get to me <laughs> enough phased yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean how do you like how do you get into a mindset where you, can you disassociate the act from the person that you're talking to or how does that work well t- totally i mean that's the s- s- weird thing in prison i thought i was gonna and certainly for the first month i was wandering around thinking these guys are gonna kind of jump me any minute and you know but actually most of them are just n- regular ish guys who have snapped one day normally i mean often there's like drink or drugs involved or whatever mm. but it's weird how easy it is to to disassociate yourself from from you know you, you like someone and then you hear about you know them stamp stamping some guy some guy's head into you know a million pieces and getting 30 years and you, you yeah. can sort of disconnect it's really right. and the prison officers are like that as well you know they they're, they're just sort of hanging out in, in actual fact on that film i found dealing with the prison officers much more psychologically draining than dealing with the prisoners really what way is that because you know how prison works it's like i don't know if you know this idea of like the panopticon where like everyone is watching everyone it's what victorian prisons are based on you know they have a central thing and then they have a spurs off that right. that that central and 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 the idea is that they kind of keep keep control by this this idea of yeah everyone's sort of monitoring everyone all the time and that's certainly what it felt like in a prison it was such a paranoid environment and these oh. these prison officers they have this thing this thing called conditioning where basically Life sentence prisoners, they get very good at manipulating people. And so they all sit around all day just, you know, working out how to, like, sort of break people. And they would do it. They'll do really subtle things. Like, they'll say, come up to you and say, oh, look, I've, got, I've written a poem. Will you, will you read it? And, and, and you go to read it. And they're like, no, no, take it away. Take it home. And then come back and, you know, tell them what you think of it. Mm. And if you do that, next time you come into the prison, they've got something on you. They're like, oh, what do you think of my poem? And and it's like and that's a really subtle thing, but they gradually build that up, like, like a weird uh, emotional connection. Well, it's it's like them. yeah, well it's like you 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 owe them something suddenly, and they they very subtly like build that up. And they'll you know over a couple of weeks, and before you know it, they're saying bring a load of drugs in for me, or I'll tell the prison that you've done this other thing that you shouldn't have done. You know, so they get they encourage you to kind of very subtly break the rules because you shouldn't take anything out of the prison they give you, and then use that and slowly manipulate against you. So the whole time you're filming there yeah. in a prison, the staff are like watching you, the filmmaker, going they're manipulating him they're mani- they've got to him they've you know they're they're breaking him he's gonna he's a security risk to us wow so it's it's just so that their paranoia i found it much <laughs> harder to deal with than the than the you know sometimes psychotic prisoners so it's wow. a giant like case of psychological warfare on two different sides it's, it's horrible it's yeah. horrible it's honestly prison is a horrible place not yeah. because it's violent and because people are getting like raped in the showers or whatever yeah. it does happen but it's very rare mm. but it's because it's psychologically just really unpleasant right. and everyone's suspicious of everyone and it's like it's like being in like cold war thriller the whole time and it's just it just it really got you know of all the films i made that one really got to me and i did yeah. seriously consider giving up filmmaking off that because it almost broke me Whoa. really yeah it was it was it was brutal it really was and was it were you just so happy that, to finish and get out of it <laughs> I, I, I was i was yeah. but you get i mean i don't know if you guys have ever had this like making things right but mm. you get to this point where you're like slow into something that you can't there's no way out you yeah. know mm. and it ended up being a good documentary that was great but yeah. there was definitely a point where i started having dreams and fantasies about like this sounds really dark but like I, 
it'd be great if someone stabbed me, not so they kill me, but so I don't have to finish this. You know, that would be my way out. And I spoke to another filmmaker who said exactly the same thing. He was, and this is a much more established person than me, and he was making this documentary about I'm not going to say what it was, but in a, a, a factory type yeah. thing. And he, he told me he was, he was having dreams that the factory burnt down or he went and set fire to it. So he, he never had to go there and film again wow. because you get to that point where you're too yeah. invested yeah. and you've taken so much money and you've got so many people involved. You have to finish it. Yeah. And you're like, I need some way out, you know? Right. Okay. So, yeah. Um, God, this is dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's good. It's real. You know, that's it. <laughs> uh, we might come up to uh, Three Identical Strangers then and, uh, how that came about? Wow! Well, by the way, I have to say, yeah. I just popped all the peas there. Wow! Well, well, <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's a great piece of work. Oh, yeah. well, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I mean, identical strangers. So, in between direct, I've never been one of those directors. Maybe because I am quite intense when I'm directing, that can go from job to job to job and just be like a, a, a working director. I just take too much out of me, and also, you know, loads of my friends who are you know really good directors have to take not great projects just to pay the bills yeah. and i always wanted to have something else so I, i've spent about half of my career in development so i'm right. like an ideas guy for companies i used to run docs development for the bbc okay. and so i was working in development head of development for a company called raw who made um the imposter and american animals which has been in cinemas this year and i um this a, a producer brought this idea in and when you do that job, that idea is kind of job. You get yeah. so cynical. You've seen everything. You're like, this is, yeah. you know, I've seen mm. this one before. Seen this. And she brought this idea in, and instantly I was like, wow, this is the single best documentary idea I've ever come across. And if this in any way lives up to the kind of way she's pitched it, this is going to be incredible. Yeah. Um, the problem I had was at that point, no one in their right mind would have given me 1.2 million dollars which is what it cost to make to to direct it i'd made some stuff that had been very well received but not on this level um and you had you had a warehouse moment (laughs) before you started (laughs) i did i did i have i had to meet various like very established directors and kind of discuss the project with them and i i was sort of trying to undersell it and sort of like oh it's not going to be very good really no one will talk and all that kind of stuff but um it took four years to convince the the the, the main people in the film to take part and that um that time frame that time period enabled me to get to the point where well it just this just happened naturally actually by the time it was actually all ready to go and commissioned we had the money and we had the guys on board it was like i'm making this and they couldn't get rid of me because i was so kind of <laughs> yeah. integral to the project yeah, yeah um so i kind of sort of strong on my way on but it was i was definitely not meant to direct this <laughs> uh that's cool so um how what what was the biggest challenge then going into it? I think winning the the trust of right. the two brothers. You know, the, the film is about um, three brothers separated at birth, and um, winning the trust of the brothers was really really hard. You, when you see the film, you see the full extent of the kind of nightmare they've been through over their lives. Uh, you get a sense of why they might not want to want to you know trust people or might find it hard to trust people, and so that just took a long time. And you know. I, anyone who's made documentary knows that it's trust is everything. I mean, yeah. that's you, you can't get anywhere without that. And so there was a lot of time spent going out to meet them without cameras and sort of um, just just sort of hanging out with them and their families and just trying to convince them that this was kind of what we wanted to do and that we weren't going to, we, we, yeah, that we were going to kind of represent their story accurately. But it was a nightmare. Right, okay. Well, and uh, was it a challenge, like, thinking how you're going to, actually tell the story and what how did you approach the the reenactments and that kind of thing well 
about two thirds of the story of the film is in the past tense, and then you've got the present present day stuff. And it was that was a big challenge to getting the film commissioned and funded because everyone was like, "Oh, we can see the backstory, but what's going to happen in now? You know, where's it going to go? What's the third act?" And it was like, "Well, that's the thing about documentary; you sometimes don't know." Yeah. And what you know, what I've learned over my career is that these two styles, retrospective and present tense, are like totally different i mean they're totally different in how you shoot them in how you edit them the tone the pacing everything it's like as different as a romantic comedy and a horror film and so you what i realized is that what i wanted to do was force the audience perspective so the point of view of the audience was the same as the point of view of the brothers so information is revealed to the audience watching the film at the same time that it was revealed to the brothers so you you incrementally learn about their story as you go along um, and there are amazing twists and turns. I mean, it's a real roller coaster. But mm. The, mm. The, the thing is, that you, you, you keep their perspective forced. And so to do that, the early scenes where one of the brothers goes to college for the first time, um, not knowing that his um, sibling went there exactly a, a year before, and, and, and he turns up to this college and is kind of mistaken for, for his brother... Um, it's kind of like the inciting incident of the of the whole film. It's unbelievable. Um, yeah, it's crazy. But there's obviously there's no footage of that, and yeah. it, you know until they be- they met and became famous, there's no footage. So reconstruction was the obvious way to do that. And I'm I'm sort of quite ambivalent about reconstruction. I'd used a bit in in One Killer Punch, mm. but um, yeah, it just sort of made sense. So so we literally yeah join the film kind of almost over the shoulder of one of the brothers and we kind of stick with their perspective for pretty much the rest of the film or most of the rest of the film cool and yeah the balance of um getting so you kind of have it's kind of like a fun story and even in the trailer you can see that you kind of you hook people in and it's kind of fun and it's enjoyable and then you have this kind of dark Turn. Yeah, it is a mi- it's a misdirection. I mean, it, yeah. it's this incredible, obviously, um, uh, unbelievable scenario, and quite enjoyable. I mean, you know, when they when they recon- reconnect. It's spectacular. It's so, wonderful. Totally. And uh, look, we, I was massively influenced by genre cinema, US genre cinema. And, and the editor, again, to go back to Michael Hart, yeah. he is an 80s film obsessive. Like, <laughs> he, he literally has a picture of him and Michael, um, Michael J. Fox in a DeLorean. Oh, um, wow. He's one of those guys. And yeah. so we watched a lot of kind of 80s teen kind of type movies to get yeah. the, the tone right for the top of the film yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of unusual though you're right for, for, for you know most films and most docs particularly set a tone at the start and then follow it all the way through and we always knew it was going to shift genre yeah. it was going to move it becomes more like a almost like a, an identity thriller or something I mean yeah. we were watching like Bourne and things like that yeah. um, which weirdly has some echoes of, of, of the brother's story okay. um, just with less shooting <laughs> um, but um, trying to figure out who they are uh, yeah exactly yeah, trying yeah, to figure yeah. out who they are and um, and also you know a, a sort of dark conspiracy um, involved in it so yeah, I mean, it's scary when you're doing that because you're thinking, I know I'm I'm selling the audience one thing and it's going to become something else. And when I sit in mm. in the cinema watching it with an audience, I always feel really guilty because having such a great time for the first 30 minutes yeah. and they're laughing, they're thinking, oh, this is all going to be like this. And I'm thinking, oh, it's, going, it's going dark, guys. Yeah, I think that's why it, make it <laughs> makes it so special. Yeah, absolutely. Though, you know, as, yeah, an, yeah. as a viewing experience. Yeah. Um, and was that, I can only imagine that that must have been a lot of work in the edit to get that right. 
I think so. Getting those, getting the tonal changes, and just getting the the pacing of the, the, you know, the reveals. There's so much in the story, and working out what to cut out. I mean, we cut, you know, enough for another two films probably out, right. and, and and really slim it down. And again, this is where Michael really came into his own. I mean, we really kind of spent a long time just just trying to get it so it was moving fast enough that it was entertaining. And revelations were coming when you needed one and you weren't getting bored, but not so fast as you couldn't work out what was going on and who are all these people and here's another twist and here's another twist. I mean, it is quite heavy in terms of exposition, well, not exposition, but plot. And I wanted it almost to be like, like I was saying earlier, like a surplus of narrative, you know, almost like too dense. Mm. Um, But it is, you do, I mean, I think that's the biggest challenge. It's like getting the pacing right. And I learned a lot on this film about pacing and about how important that is it's like how much can an audience take on you want to be slightly ahead of them but not yeah. so far that you've just lost them yeah. yeah yeah and going from you know a lot of successful shorter films uh was it did it feel like a big jump was it was it could it be overwhelming and sometimes carrying this huge project on your shoulders or was it exciting and you know so it's a really good question i haven't been asked that before i, th- I think that um the truth is, it was such a nightmare to make. Uh, I know I keep saying using the word nightmare because all films and any <laughs> filmmaker listening to this will know that it's yeah they're all difficult. Tough, but this yeah. one, you know, like twelve hours before we were due to fly out, or no, no, less than that, seven hours before we were due to fly out for the first shoot. Um, one of the funders pulled their money for various reasons, and uh, and then you know throughout production there were just a series of moments where the whole thing looked like it was going to fall down, or the contributors were going to pull out, or something. So. But in a way, that was a really welcome distraction because I think you're right. If I think if I had sat there and stood back and gone, wow, someone's given me a load of money to make this and it's like the best story I've ever heard, I think I might have felt the pressure a bit well, more. Well, it's that plate, uh, plate spinning analogy, you know? If you've three or four spinning at the same time and if one falls, you don't have time to pick it up. You just have to keep your eye on the others. Yeah, and I think that was, I think that was good here. I mean, I do think that I felt the pressure a little bit um, before we started filming, like in the pre-production period, because I was like... This is such a great story, and and normally you know in documentary your your kind of duty of care is to your contributors, which absolutely was also in this one, mm. and that's really important. But I also felt a duty of care to the story. It's like I can't screw yeah. this up, yeah. you know. Yeah. And well, quick and, question for you: Which one of the brothers did you contact first? I think we contacted because I didn't do it. Grace Hughes okay. Hallett, who brought the film in. I think it was Bobby that we yeah. contacted first. And, um, you know, as you can see in the film, they their relationship wasn't the best when we were making it, and that made negotiation very hard as well. Mm, I so can I, imagine, yeah. So I think we started off with Bobby, and then actually David later became a great kind of advocate and champion for the film. But it took, it took a while, and there was another filmmaker in the States, uh, independent filmmaker kind of pursuing her own project, not about the brothers per se, but about the whole kind of... Mm wider story mm. and that was quite hard sniffing around and yeah kind of... it's always i mean it's always the way with good stories mm. um i tried to find a way of working with her but then it didn't work and it was just very um i mean yeah you'll know what it's like anyone who's trying to make you know particularly yeah. if it's a current if it's a story in the news you know there'll be like a million news organizations following it and it's just yeah. really painful mm. and you live and die by your subjects but they're also real people so you have to be cognizant of that. You do. And that's what one of the things that appeals to me about working in scripted, you know, drama stuff is that, you know, everyone's paid to be there and yeah. you can just kind of order people about. That's how, in my head, anyway, yeah, that's yeah. how... It Everybody should know what they're doing. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's the fantasy. I don't know if it, you know, not, I know actors take very uh, unkindly to being told, oh, just say it like this or whatever. You, n- you never do that. But um, I think with... I think, I think the biggest challenge with the brothers and the key people in the film was that... Um, 
I, they told the story so many times before that you always worry that what you're going to get is a really dry, flat retelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really paranoid about that. But somehow, once they finally sat down, and, and literally on day one, I had no idea if they were going to turn up. When they sat down for an interview, they were able to tap back into the emotion that they felt at the time of the events that they were talking about and they were prepared to go there like emotionally and that is what you're looking for you're looking for this emotional connection you're not looking for someone to go this happened then this happened then this happened that's important they need to vaguely know obviously Mm. have a chronology and all that stuff but the most important thing is that they can make you feel and and that is you know, I think that's often overlooked in documentary. Mm. People think, oh, it's just about the facts and about a, a sort of bird's eye view and getting all the mm. information. It's not about that. It's about an emotional connection. Yeah, the the integrity of the of, of the truth. You know, yeah. uh, which is sometimes coming comes into questions now with the you know the you know increased interest in docs, which is with Netflix and stuff. I mean, obviously, and that's one of the positives with Netflix, as far as I'm concerned, is you get jaded watching you know fiction and drama mm-hmm. and series and you go okay every friday i'm gonna watch a doc so families do that consciously now yeah once I, a week, I, which I, is a wonderful i thing. think you're right it does shake things up and i also think you know the truth is that what we're getting out of hollywood over the last sort of five ten years is increasingly kind of homogenous and just kind of like repetitive and it's yeah. like i like i love a marvel marvel universe and everything but it, it, you know you do feel just like wow i'm getting the, the, the kind of intelligent thrillers that i used to get great you know things like um I don't know, Science of the Lambs or, you know, um, I don't know, The Untouchables or like, yeah. you know, like adult drama that's yeah. like or, glossy and well done. Ne- even a Nick Rogue movie, uh, obviously, yeah, passed yeah. away this year. Absolutely, know? yeah. Uh, just this week, I should say. Mm. Uh, and uh, I, a lot of the problem is like you have all these uh, drama books, how to write structure and that, like Save the Cat. And as a result, I think you do have a bit of a homogenous this is going to happen this and, and without even realising it audiences kind of know what's going to happen but with docs and especially a doc like yours you don't I, I think you're right although what's weird about this one is it was quite influenced by I mean I wouldn't say Save the Cat or, or, but, <laughs> but, but you know screenwriting theory so you right. do have what we do in this is like sort of seed information that then pays off later um, so you have quite a lot of things set running in the f- in the first third of the film that then pay off in different and you know they'll flash back to things you've seen earlier but you haven't realised the significance mm. and that is quite a drama storytelling thing but yeah. I do totally agree with you I mean I think that has be- become such a y- uniformity in thinking out there and certainly when you meet execs out there it is very much like okay inciting incident f- you know yeah. end of first act you know that all that uh, that that structure is really important so I think what's slightly unusual about this film is it's kind of combining some of that and hopefully the better bits with documentary and it's kind of it is slightly hybridy in how it how it feels in places I think Mm. Uh, to tap into kind of your development background as well one of the challenges I find is like once you've finished the film you're only as good as your you know your next idea and when you're you invest so much time into making one so how do you do you have tips for filmmakers on how to keep projects in development and that kind of thing so it's a good question I mean the one big tip I always try and give people is someone told me I asked this there's a filmmaker he's younger than me actually but he's outrageously talented British guy who's won like the BAFTA like about four or five times for best doc or something insane like that and he said I said what's the secret and he said the secret is pick your films and and what he meant by that is don't just grab the next thing because you have to uh, and obviously you need to find another way of working to so you don't have to just go from film to film. Mm. But he was like, wait, bide your time, choose one that you really feel passionate about. And he was like, it can be about a trashy subject, but mm. you can do it intelligently. It just has to be something that you really feel connected to. And so that's why development for me is always like fitted really well with um, with with directing. If you can find a company that's kind of 
uh, happy to pay you to develop ideas for them, like for everyone. You can, you know, the huge turnover, you're, you're, you're churning through hundreds of ideas a week. And ine- inevitably, after, you know, a few months, you'll find one of those that you want to do yourself. And generally, if you've been doing a decent job at the other stuff, they'll go, OK, you know, at the right time, you can direct this. So that that has been, I didn't realise that was my kind of plan, but it has ended up working out quite well. And actually, the success of this film is as much due to my development um, experience as it is due to my directing, I would say. Okay. Um, what's your least favourite and favourite thing about filmmaking? <laughs> he just told you all the least favourite. Uh, well, no, I could, uh, the least favourite <laughs> is just the... I find it very hard to switch off. I think a lot of filmmakers do, and there's always yeah. a mm. point on most films where I just stop sleeping and start losing my mind slightly. <laughs> Um, the best thing is a collaboration. You know, I, I, I love working with p- talented people and that whole, you know, I studied film at university and that whole auteur theory, you know, I mean, I just think it's a load of cobblers. I, like all my films have been much better for the people that I've worked with. Obviously, you, ha- you need a vision as a director mm-hmm. and you have to be the one pushing that vision. But, you know, if you surround yourself with good people... Um, you'll produce better work and it will be a really enjoyable experience. I mean, the nightmare, the nightmare comes when you surround yourself with people who aren't that good, uh, which can happen sometimes. But, um, yeah, I mean, I just love... It. Filmmaking is the most collaborative, I think, art form there is, and I, I absolutely love it. Cool. Uh, we always ask this, we kind of finish with this, if there's... He always asks this of all his prey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if there's any advice that you wish you'd gotten when you were starting out. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. Um, I mean, I think that one about trying to pick your projects Mm. is quite, um, quite good. Um, But also, I wish people had said that. I wish, still wish people would say it's okay to fail. You know, sometimes Mm. or or not do as well, and you know, have projects that don't work out because you learn so much. And the trouble with filmmakers, you invest so much of yourself into making these things, and when one doesn't work out as well as you wanted to. It's easy to be like really crushed by that, but I've learned probably more from the films that haven't gone so well as I have from the ones that, that have gone really well. Mm. How do you handle that rejection? Well, uh, working development is brilliant for handling rejection. Like I'm, I'm the most thin-skinned person ever. Like I hate being, I hate rejection, but yeah. doing that job, ninety-nine percent of it is people saying, "No, your idea is rubbish. You're it's rubbish," and you just have to. It's a really good question, right? What you have to do is you have to depersonalise it. And what you realise in development, when people bring ideas in, 95% of the time what they do is they pitch what they know. So it's like writers, you know, people say, write what you know. So people do the same. Mm-hmm. So what someone will come in and they'll say, I really want to do something about alcoholism, right? Totally legitimate subject for documentary, but very hard to get away because it's quite a dark, difficult subject. But films have been made. But what I realised is that most people pitching that will have direct experience of alcoholism themselves, either a close family member or loved one or whatever. And if you if you reject that and you say, look, it's not going to fly, or it's not going to happen. If they're talking from personal experience, people are crushed by that because they're like, this is my I'm pitching my life and I, you know, and I really believe in this. Mm. And it's just it's not that it's a rubbish idea. It's just the time isn't right. Or there's been another three docs about alcoholism in the last year or what, what, whatever. And it's just trying to separate yourself from the realizing that none of this is personal. I, easier said than done. Like if I've spent a year making a film and people hate it, I feel and, and you know, like with online critics now, it's like a night. So, so our film. I think it's at 96% on Rotten Tomatoes and it's made, you know, 12 million in the US or whatever. And yet the 
thing, the reviews that Michael, the editor, and, and the producer, Becky Reed and myself, end up discussing are some idiot <laughs> behind a laptop in, you know, Ohio, yeah. Yeah. who's written, like, this is just a rubbish film, and, and they picked it. And normally they'll, 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 get, they'll manage to get a one thing which has an element of truth in it that right. you know is not perfect about the film. And yeah. those, those are the ones that you end up, that like end up eating you. Yeah, and it's you're so nit- horrible. You nitpicking fuckers. Just, I know, you know. But it's just it's uh, horrible, and the yeah. whole world, the whole everyone's a critic now, you know. And yeah. I, I, I'm like that. I'm always been like that about other people's films. I rip them to shreds. I just won't go on online and do it. Yeah. But um, it's yeah, that that is it's interesting how those are the ones you, you know you can have the you know a doc that's way more successful than you ever dreamed it was possible, and still you're <laughs> you're eaten up about the <laughs> yeah. the rubbish reviews. Um, so. You're launching the film today uh, in the IFI. So, um, say after it's going to cinema release, will people be able to see it? Will, it be, will it be available on video on demand? It will be available on video demand. I mean, I think it's going to have quite an extensive theatrical release. But get out and see it in the cinema. Yes, uh, absolutely, it, yeah. it, it is a good one to see it in the cinema because I think um, it's a fun one to watch with an audience because Definitely. there are so many twists and turns. And, and, and you know, that's, that's what I like about going to see a film where it takes it transports you somewhere you think you know where you're going you think you know where you're starting and then it takes you somewhere completely different and experiencing that surrounded by other people and and them reacting and you reacting is, is just a really good good fun thing to do mm. um it will eventually be out on video d but i think as i say it's, it's having quite an extensive um theatrical release um in the uk and in ireland so uh try and catch it at cinemas if you can All right. that's great thank you so much for coming in thanks for having me on it's been fun